Amen. Good to see all of you and to worship together on this, um, is it the last Sunday of August already? And so it is coming to an end, right? But it's so nice to worship together. Um, I know Pastor Paul, I think, mentioned about the backpack drive, but just wanted to um, say what a wonderful job that you all did. Almost $15,000 that were given away to these kids. And I was thinking about that. You know, each backpack was 80, some of us spent 70, 80 bucks, some up to 100. Depends how savvy of a shopper you were and what kind of pencils you bought and all this. Um, but it, it's not cheap, it was substantial, and we were able to sacrifice and give it away. You know, uh, this past week I had a chance to go backpack shopping with my youngest. And that was like a little date thing. We ended up going to all these different stores. The ones I liked, she didn't like, you know, like they were ugly. And, um, you know, here, why don't we get this? And he's like, no. And uh, we went and found uh, something she liked as she's grown up to be a young woman already. And like, I want this, and it, this is pretty, and, you know, I don't want it to say Jansport all over it or whatever. And uh, um, um, so anyways, but even that was uh, what an experience. For me, it was like a little date, and it was fun, and we went and did this. And I think about these teens who don't have a mom or a dad. I think about them and them receiving something they could be proud of to take to school, something that they could have um, that's new, and uh, they're the first ones to use it. And I just wanted to um, thank all of you for living out the vision that we have, right? to be a church for all people. To, we're blessed to be a blessing in this way and to do this regularly. Um, and it, that's something I'm just so I'm proud of for our church. So I just wanted to thank all of you. I know those at Olive Crest were thanking us um, abundantly for all of our, um, our generosity and what little we could do there. But I just wanted to thank all of you and in that you know today we're looking at Psalm 27 and um, I was going through it and it, Psalm 27 is a picture of God being kind of like our superhero God being the one to save me from my enemies right and I was thinking about superheroes um, what it's like to um, you know to be the hero and you know our favorite heroes growing up all of us had one um, I'm gonna you turn to someone next to you, right? And what, what was, who was your favorite superhero when you were growing up? And just share who it was real quick. I'll give you 10 seconds to do that. Who was it? Batman, Superman. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Paul, uh, who was your favorite superhero when you were growing up? And, you know, what, before you say it, what they say with their favorite superhero reveals a lot about that person. You, know, you can analyze their personality. And, anyways, but who was your favorite superhero? Wolverine, wow, that guy's real hairy, you know, and uh, wow, that's, um, wow, that's, that's, that's good. You know, I, I asked the same question at Irvine, and then it was a big curveball, because um, uh, Pastor Sam said, Wonder Woman, <laughs> I didn't expect that, and then I was like, oh, it's so honest, you know, um, I was like, ah. uh, um, so we had a little fun, um, but, you know, I was thinking about it. I mean, I think mine was pretty basic. It was Superman. I remember being his, being Superman's, you know, so excited to be, you know, watch Superman on TV and, and comic books. I remember going to watch the movie. And uh, back in the day, in the early 80s, I remember going to watch Superman 2. It's when I was living in Oakland and my mom dropped me off. I think I was like eight years old. Me and my friend dropped us off to go watch the movie at the Lakeshore Theater, right? And we went and we we're going to go watch Superman 2. 
Um, and back, obviously back then, things were very different. You have no idea. There are no uh, previews and there is no ratings or nothing. You just go. And I was so excited and Superman goes and um, he has the usual villain, Lex Luthor, who he beat in Superman 1, but he's back again. And he's going to fight him. But in my mind, you're thinking, well, he already beat him. That's not a problem. He's going to beat him again. Um, but then there comes General Zod and his two cronies. And they come with the same exact powers that Superman has. They could, you know, blow things frozen, right? They could look and make heat and cut into things, and they could fly, and they're strong, and they come. And so he has to fight them. And I remember watching this movie. Uh, it's so very vivid, and they're in their black outfits and slick hair, and they're going to fight Superman. And Superman had given up all of his power so he could live a normal life now with Lois Lane. And as he's trying to live this life, they come, so he has to go back, and he tricks him, and he gets his powers back. But, you know, as a kid, you're like... Wondering, is he going to make it? Like, is Superman actually going to win? Is he going to win? Is he going to make it or not? And you're, you're wondering the, on those things. And of course, he wins. I mean, this is the, re the recipe for any superhero movie, right? It's usually, you know, the, the enemy is bigger and greater, and they fight. And the hero always wins. And then there is always some damsel in distress, and she's always falling from somewhere, right? A, a, from a plane, from a thing. And then, whether it's Batman or... Spider-Man, they always save them at the last minute because they like them, right? Um, and, and so we see kind of this formula. Now, I bring this up because when, when we grow up and we have watched enough of these, you don't go now watching Iron Man thinking, oh, is he going to live? Like, is he going to make it? He's going to fight that bigger Iron Man. Is Batman going to win? Joker has so much power. Is he going to make it? We already know they're going to make it. We already know. And so um, now they try to you know, have them fight each other. They try to confuse us. But you already know they're still the good guys. They're going to win. Right? And I bring this up because often when we go to our real hero, God, we go to him like an eight-year-old going to say, are you going to be there? Are you really there? Are you going to help me? Is this going to work? Are you strong enough to be there? And we ask those questions. Whereas we should approach life and the circumstances of life and we should approach God and we should say, oh, I know you're going to win. I know you've got this taken care of. Why do I worry so much about all the hardships in life? I know you are there and we should approach God in that way. And that's what I want us to do. I want, it, it says here in verse 3, right? Though an army encamp, uh, against me, my heart shall not fear, uh, yet I will be confident. So the psalmist David is saying, my, I'm still going to be confident even when life is hard. We ought to be able to say that to ourselves, not because we're so smart and rich and good and strong, but we ought to be able to say this because God is there for us. We are Christians. We follow after God. It's going to be okay. I will be confident because of him. And it's very important we understand this. You know, today we're going to look at these, these sources of our fears and anxieties. All of us deal with anxieties. That's the respectable sin that we think is okay for grown-ups when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. But what, where do they come from? What are we carrying around? What is this baggage that we have? Why does it affect us? Why am I acting the, in the way that I do? Why, why, why is it all there? And how does God save me from that? Right? Some of these common things, the common, um, the, the three sources of our fears and anxiety, right? It it's really is written by David in this psalm, but it's the same for all, all of us. Um, David wrote this hundreds, thousands of years ago, and yet 
It's still the same. The worries that you and I have are the same worries our parents had and the same worries our grandparents had. It's the same things that we deal with. And he talks to us as Christians. David talks to us about his experience, and he says, hey, I'll be confident. I can be confident because I have God. But he says, let's identify these. Let's look at these enemies that we have. And the first one he talks about is an enemy. He says in verse 3 this, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Now, we know uh, David, uh, David's story. He fights Goliath. He, he, he wins battles. Um, he is uh, chased to be killed uh, by Saul, and he survives, and so on and so forth. And he does great things in his life. But here the enemy is not so much that, okay, we have an enemy outside of our doors, you know, and they're out here and they're, they're waiting to attack you when you leave. It's not so much that, but it's just the, the presence of trouble. The presence of trouble. So going to David again, when he is looking out and he's looking past the walls of the city and he's looking around to see what's, what it's like, he sees trouble out there. He sees now the enemies and those against him are now camping, encamped outside the walls. They're now preparing to come invade. And when they invade, what does it mean? It's, it's they lose security. They lose, um, they're, they're worrying about where they're going to eat. You know, what am I going to do? You know, is a doctor going to say yes or no, positive or negative? It's all of those fears, really. And so what David is talking about, when he's talking about these enemies, it's all the same things that we deal with. The things outside of our lives that's lurking, that concerns us, that keeps us up late at night. Am I going to pay the bills? Am I going to get this promotion? You know, are things going to work out, you know, from the doctor's perspective? You know, and those are the same concerns that he had as the king of Israel as he looks over and they're there. He says, yet I could still be confident. And he says this here. Um, The enemy meant that he's going to lose loved ones. He's going to lose money. He's going to lose security. And those are the things that keep us up at night. Yet we could be confident. God is greater than those things. So I could not put my focus on God and not in those things. The second thing we see is um, he goes kind of to the past, to the pains that he had in his past, the things that really the baggage of the past that he's been bringing along. And he talks about in verse 10 this. He says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. He talks about being forsaken being left behind. And he uses, this is poetic language. He's not saying they've literally forsaken him, but even those that are as close as my father and mother have forsaken me. The word forsaken. Uh, Azav is the word, Azav, in the Hebrew, and it's in the strongest dictionary, it describes it as kind of two parts, to fail you or to leave you. So when he says that they have forsaken me, they failed you or they've left you. And some of us have dealt with this and have been carrying this around all of our lives. Most most of the people I talk to, their issues stem from something mom and dad did or didn't do, that they left me or they failed me. They didn't stick up for me when this was happening. They didn't fight for me, and that pain is still there. Or they left me when they should have been there. They should have been playing catch with me, but no, they left me. And so in the midst of that, he goes back to this personal pain. And I think a lot of us carry that around. 
And if you have a chance to sit down with a skilled counselor or talk to someone and to understand why that affects me and the way that I do things and why it sabotages my life, we see that. Here, we see, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. God fills that void. God takes him in. God is the only one that could now repair that. God is the only one that could heal that. And so we go. Now, how many of us are still craving, as grown-ups, to hear our moms or dads saying, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so sorry that this happened. I should have been. We, we take that to the grave often. And that really now debilitates us for the rest of our lives. And we have to go to God and seek him in this way. You know, um, I was watching a little bit of a, a, the Hall of Fame for the football induction, and Brett Favre was inducted uh, this year. And Brett Favre was quarterback of the Packers and uh, probably one of the greatest quarterbacks in all of history, definitely in his era. Um, and he was known as being the guy who never missed a game when he was hurt, and a really tough guy. He played every game. And there was, he even played a game on the week that his father had passed away, and he came and he showed up that week and he played, and they, he led him to victory. It was a big, big emotional thing. Uh, that he did that. And even him, the big guy, the tough guy, when he was given a speech, with all his gray hair, and this is all behind him, and this is what he says, I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself and make my dad proud. And in his tears, he says, I hope I succeeded. So we go back, and, and we look at the things that happened. Some of us are just victimized. We say, I'm victimized, I'm hurt, life's not fair. I deserve to do whatever I feel like. Some of us, you know, ignore it, and there's pain, and it keeps popping up in weird ways. But it's God. We have to go to God and get healing in this. God, heal me of this. God, reveal this to me. God, you have taken me in, and the truth of the gospel affects us. So we have now the worries of life, the enemies that are encamped around us. You have our past, the things that have happened for a lot of us in the past. And then what we have also is just the opinion of the masses, of everyone else. What does everyone think? Think about that. I mean, how many times have you caught yourself saying, that I can't, I can't get this. What are people going to think? I can't wear that. What are people going to think? Right? I, we can't live in that house. What are people going to think? Um, and this is the opinion of others. And David faced it in the same way the Bible talks about this. He calls them false witnesses, right? In verse 12, give me not... Uh, up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence false witnesses those who will say something wrong about you question your motives you're wrong you're right you know uh, you're like this and we're concerned about the masses what do people think everyone society has an opinion you should be doing this by now you should be doing that by now you shouldn't do that you sh and we're so concerned about what does everyone think and can you imagine trying to be a people pleaser? Can't get anywhere, can't do anything. And here he says, what do they do? They, they breathe out violence. It's the words are like someone's attacking me physically. They breathe it out. It's just words, the false witnesses say things about me and what I've done and my motives, and they breathe it out. And it's like it's violence against me. Um, and I was watching a... a documentary on Mike Tyson. Um, Mike Tyson was the most powerful boxer I think I've ever seen. Um, he, he was a, every fight is a highlight you know, reel. I mean, it, it's blink of an eye, you could miss it. 
Um, and I was watching this documentary that they did on him. And uh, at, he was, during his amateur ranks as a teenager, he's fighting everyone. He's a little guy. He's not that tall, not that big. And he is just hitting him so hard. And he's knocking everyone out. And you, you've seen him. You know, he hit someone so hard, you could, like, in the stomach, and you could just feel, like, his whole, the guy's just organs, you know, are just done. Like, you know, it's, it's over. Like, and he just, you know, collapses, and he fights him in this way. And at the, uh, he goes to now fight his last amateur fight. And the trainer tells a story how he goes back to see him in the, uh, in the uh, changing room. And he goes back right before the start, fight's going to start, and he goes, and he sees Mike Tyson, the young Mike Tyson, there weeping and crying. And he goes up to him, and he's like, oh, what's going on, you know? And are you afraid? Are you afraid of fighting this guy? Come on, you beat guys way tougher than this. You're going to knock him out in the first round. What are you afraid of? Don't cry. And what he told him was this was his greatest fear. If I lose, no one will love me. If I lose, no one will love me. We have to ask ourselves, what drives us? What makes me go? What makes me tick in this way? He's afraid no one's going to love him. Because everyone now has lifted him because he is knocking people out. Remember at the end of his career, what does he do? Evander Holyfield, he fights him, he's losing, he knows he's losing. And this fear, I think, was still there. And he goes and he bites out his ear and bites it off and he's panicking. He's in fear. Because you're a loser now, and no one is going to like you. You just lost. You're not worthy. You can't perform up to this. And some of us still are striving with that. We're trying to get ahead at work, and some of us are at this point, we say, I should have been here. I should be making this much money. My name should be here. And, I, man, I'm not measuring up. What are people thinking of me? What does everyone think about me? And that's the same fear that David had. That's the same fear that Saul had that drove to kill David. Right? David's killed tens of thousands. Saul's killed thousands. David's killed tens of thousands. What are we afraid of? What do people think? So what do we do? It is easy for us, and we see this often, to have, oh, how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with our fears. And there's techniques, and people will talk about it. You could Google it, and there'll be hundreds of thousands of techniques that come up. The techniques are just, it covers up what smells. It doesn't do much, right? I mean, um, you know, when I was, I think I was in high school, and at, at our home, uh, one of the pipes broke underneath the house. It was horrible, right? I mean, it just, it, it broke, and uh, it was leaking, and we never felt it. It didn't come through, but what happened was it started smelling like, you know, you know that smell, right? And it just started smelling really bad. And then my mom, she has a really sensitive nose. So like she'll go into a restaurant and it smells weird. I can't eat this. It smells bad. And I'm like, you know, it smells like meat. What do you, you know, it smells fine, right? Like, you got to go. I can't. Oh, I can't. And so it was bothering her. We didn't smell it. It was bothering her. And she was blaming us. You boys, you smell, you know. And it was you guys. Take a shower. Or she's trying to figure it out. And she would always, you know, buy potpourri in this bag and, you know, try to cover it up. And I was allergic to potpourri. So I'm sneezing now. And the house smells. She blames me. You know, and my brother's like, you guys smell. Um, I was thinking, maybe, maybe it's you, you who smell. You know, like, who smells? I don't know who smells, you know, and we're going back and forth. But finally, we find out what the problem is. It's the root issue, and we dig it up, and we fix it. Clear out all the carpet and fix it. And it was rotting away down there. And so techniques. Techniques, 
you might hear it, and yeah, they're, they're okay, but it's not permanent. We're Christians. We're people who follow God. He is our solution. So techniques, I mean, some of the techniques I came across, it says, you know, if you're, you know, really getting anxious or stressed out, go take a time out. Really, I mean, that's what we use for kids when we punish kids, right? Like, go to the corner, time out. Like, you know, go, go take a time out. So go punish yourself or, you know, breathe. Visualize a happy place. I mean, what if I'm driving? You know, how do I visualize I'm driving? Or, you know, the, one of the ones that said, go reward yourself. It says, go buy something you like. Really, that's causing me my problem because I spend too much. You know, like, you want me to buy more? Like, another, you know, whatever? You want me to buy another shirt? Uh, um, these are all techniques. But what gets to the root of the heart is our focus back on God. Is... The solution is our worship. And you say, well, what you, how do you tie that in? What do you mean our worship? You know, we're, we're followers of God, and if we follow God, then we have to go after him. And, and I, I close with these thoughts, right? In verse 4, it says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We sing that sometimes, and you know, Beautiful lyrics here, but it, the, the phrase there, I ask of the Lord, I seek after, you know, the commentators say how this is a, a technical term that people use when they go into a religious temple, I'm seeking after God, you know, I'm going to pray in a formal way to God, it's to go and seek Him, it, it's in our worship, and so when we gather here and we worship God, you come to church, you know, and we come together every week, and we worship God, it's not to learn something no, new and novel, or it's not just to be moved and walk away while I was moved it's to worship God where we pause we sit still for a little while and we put our focus on God worship is telling God how worthy he is and so to now go and re-examine how great he is right? um, the psalmist talks about this right to magnify and so we have songs that talks about magnifying God when you magnify something you take something and you now zoom into it Right? And you get close to it. And you see all the intricate details about it. You know, last night at our staff retreat, we were out in the hills in Temecula. And um, there was no cell signal there. And it was actually a good thing, right? And so I remember after dinner, I kind of walked out before we were our evening sessions or so. I walked out, I was kind of looking, and you could see stars. And I was like, wow, look at the stars. But, you know, those of some of you are into taking pictures of stars and studying it. And you realize, when I get closer, if I could magnify what I see with my own eyes, and I could see how great this is, it puts everything back into perspective. That the light that I'm seeing is old, so old, that that star might not be there. It's still traveling towards me. Or that one star I see is bigger than the earth I'm standing on. And I'm standing there, and it puts everything back into perspective. And so when we worship God, and the one thing that we seek is to ask of the Lord, I will seek after, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If I could worship God every day, we magnify God in our lives. He becomes big and great, and it puts me back into perspective. It puts my enemies into perspective. They're only human. It's fine. It puts my past. God is healing me from my past. It's fine. What other people think? Who cares what other people think? This is what God thinks of me. The, the greatest, most important being in my life, God Almighty, is looking down on me. And so we worship. And part of our worship is we listen. 
It says, teach me, verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Uh, there's a quote from Martin Luther who says this about listening to God's word. You should diligently learn the word of God and by no means imagine that you know it. So don't ever think you know it, right? Let him who is able to read take a psalm in the morning or some other chapter of scripture and study it for a while. I do this only to keep myself well acquainted with these matters and I do not want to let the mildew of the notion grow that I know them well enough. The devil is a greater rascal than you think he is. His definite design is to get you tired of the word and in this way to draw you away from it. This is his aim. A.W. Tozer says, the Bible is not only a book which was once spoken, but a book which is now speaking. So open the word and listen. And then we wait. We don't wait passively. We wait with courage. We wait with boldness. And the psalm closes this way. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This, it closes by sandwiching this command to take courage. So life is hard. It's, you're going through these things. But now let's sandwich it. Wait for the Lord in this way. Now, in every Superman movie I see, Lois Lane is falling off somewhere. Her hair's perfect, makeup's perfect, dress is perfect, but she's falling down and she's yelling. And what happens every time? Here comes Superman. Right? Picks her up, never hits the ground. Here comes Spider-Man, Batman, they all do that. And she's, you know, all the girls in the theater are thinking, oh, man, I need a man like that, you know. You know, he would hear me, he's a good listener, and he could just sweep me off my feet. And all the guys are like, man, you know, I need to be like that, you know, I need a cape like that, you know, and... Um, but we think about that. But really, are they ever going to hit the ground? No, they're not going to hit the ground. And we're going to make it. And so I want to bring us here to, uh, together today and remind us of that truth that our hero has given us a reason for confidence. And we could be confident with the enemy outside being forsaken with all the people around me saying whatever they want to say, I have someone who is there to rescue me. I put my trust in him. I will be Amen. Let's pray. God, um, we are humbled and we take our confidence in you. We are confident in you because you love us. You, Lord, heal us. You are there for us, God. So we, we, we want to just magnify you. We don't want you to be just uh, uh, something on our calendar that we do. That we want you to be real and big in our lives. So help us to do that, God. We Help us to make much of you. And let everything fall back into perspective. So that is our prayer, Lord. We thank you. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.